0: Uh, so if you're on social media, uh, you've probably seen, or may have seen, a hashtag that's receiving a lot of attention uh, and commentary this week. I know a few of you have sort of mentioned it. Uh, it's been mostly on Twitter, but also on Facebook and various news platforms. And the hashtag is "Things Only Christian Women Hear. It's caused a bit of a stir. Uh, It was initiated by a Christian author and a blogger by the name of Sarah Bessie, who was commenting on the continued challenge that women face in the church. It's perfectly fine. It illustrates my point beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) The point is she should be allowed to do that. Um, Commenting on the continued challenge that, broadly speaking, that women face in the church that uh, and kind of highlighting to a degree the ongoing inequality and probably misogyny that exists. And so the hashtag and the statements uh, of things only Christian women here gained speed pretty quickly. It was only kind of happened about a week ago and it's kind of gone viral as these things do. So it clearly it clearly struck a chord. And so thousands of women over the past week and some men have essentially shared quotes that had been made to them by other Christians and particularly Christian leaders that, to be honest on reading them, didn't surprise me, but it kind of saddened me. The reality is that, broadly speaking, women continue to face sexism and double standards in church life. And some church denominations would even go as far to state that women can't be pastors, women can't be elders, uh, women can't be preachers. Um, some would say that women cannot hold any position of authority over a man and yet in the same breath they would say and claim that men and women are equal they would say they just have different roles but I kind of figure if those roles are dictated by men and those roles are limited then I don't see where the equality is in that and so they use this term called complementarianism, which in my opinion has kind of become this polite word for patriarchy and oppression. And so the social media commentary picked up, uh, hashtag things only Christian women here. And it wasn't long before men waited in and men got offended and uh, challenged what was being said. And in some cases they tried to do so politely, in other cases, most cases they did so ignorantly. And In many instances, they commented quite aggressively and offensively, which really just served to prove the point. It really just highlighted that any talk of gender equality and any talk of Christian feminism is kind of generally met with great resistance and great aggression. And kind of all this discourse over the week reminded me of a poem that that I shared on social media, but I'd like to share it with you. It's by an English writer and poet by the name of Wendy Cope, and it's titled He Tells Her. And it goes like this. He tells her that the earth is flat, he knows the facts, and that is that. In altercations fierce and long, she tries her best to prove him wrong, but he has learned to argue well. He calls her arguments unsound and often asks her not to yell. She cannot win. He stands his ground. The planet goes on being round. In Luke chapter 14, we find Jesus, as we often do in the home of someone at their table sharing a meal. And what he observes when he's there is people vying for the best seat at the table. But his response is, as Jesus' responses often are, countercultural. And so he challenges people to take the seat of the lowest and the least. And then in verse 12, he says this to the host When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. So what we know is that Jesus was no stranger to prejudice. He was no stranger to oppression and injustice. And he clearly understood who were the excluded people groups of his time. He had just witnessed in this scenario that we read in Luke chapter 14, the privileged and the powerful uh, vying for the best seat at the table. And essentially, his confronting challenge to them is not only take the seat of the least, but invite the least powerful and invite the least privileged to the table. And so my takeaway from this is that who we invite to the table is important. What Jesus clearly states is that Inviting those who are rarely invited to the table brings blessing to our lives But it also bestows a value on people who are traditionally considered to have less value Value to the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind value for the young and the old and women and the indigenous And the culturally diverse and the queer and the oppressed and the minority So why is this important? Why Why is it important to invite the often excluded to the table? Well, I think it's important, and we'll discuss this, but I think it's important because I think that justice, sorry, injustice will always exist when the people who are most affected by decisions, when the people who are most affected by decision making processes are left out of the conversation and we see it happen all too often. But when people are sitting at the table I think it's much harder to talk about them or for them because well they're present they're there we're less likely to talk on behalf of people when they're in the room less likely but it can still happen because even though people may be at the table or in the room or in our congregation or in our organizations or in our community we don't often give them the microphone They aren't always provided a platform or an opportunity to speak. And sometimes even if they are invited to the table and even if they are given an opportunity, it can be token or it's so uncommon that they need support to engage. It's such a shocking opportunity to be given the microphone that they're not used to it. They don't necessarily have the capacity to respond. They feel poorly equipped to be able to have a voice. And because often the marginalised have such limited access to the, to the microphone, so to speak, then, and because they've been disempowered and marginalised for so long, then often the status quo just remains. And if I'm honest, I like to talk on behalf of people. Because it makes me feel important. It, it, gives me, it gives me a cause to fight for. I feel justified in my privilege and my power when I champion the cause of others. Being a voice for the voiceless gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It gives me a reason and this kind of sense of fighting the good fight. But I'm reminded of this quote by uh, Suwad Abdul-Kabir that says, you don't need to be a voice for the voiceless, just pass the mic. And the reality is, is that we live in a society with so many uh, platforms, so many platforms for broadcasting and for having a voice. The reality is, is that there are actually very, very few people who are truly voiceless or who truly don't have the capacity to be heard. I think it's just more the case that we don't get out of the way or uh, we don't pass on the microphone or we don't stop talking or broadcasting enough ourselves and make the time to listen. And in the noise of everyone wanting to be heard and everyone wanting to have a say, I think we give little or no space for the voices of the marginalized. And there are actually less reasons to be a voice for the voiceless than we like to think. I think often our role is really to be giving voice to the voiceless. We, we should be passing the microphone we're going to uh, go to conversation time in a moment, but I just, I just want to share a story. About 12 years ago, I was running an organisation called Speak Out. And our positioning statement and our business model was designed by young people for young people. Essentially, it was the kind of philosophy was nothing about young people without young people, if that kind of makes sense. And so we worked, I wasn't particularly young myself, but we worked... Um, with young people experiencing disadvantage uh, as a consequence of homelessness or low level of formal education uh, or social isolation and exclusion. And we successfully trained and uh, supported and employed young people as designers and facilitators and community arts workers. And we helped them transition into careers uh, that were quite diverse, often in the creative industries but um, often also in much broader fields. And, One of our young people, who's not a young person anymore, uh, is now a nationally award-winning photographer. Uh, Another one is a qualified doctor and pediatrician. Um, And so it was an amazing, amazing time working with amazing young people. Uh, And in my time there, we were approached by a government agency to get involved in a national forum about foster care. And so this agency, Child Safety, were aware pretty much that the system was failing young people. And so they were convening a national conference um, on the Gold Coast to try and consider what they might need to change. And so we boldly suggested that they might want to engage young people in the process, that they might want to talk to young people who were in the foster care system or who had recently exited the foster care system to kind of hear what they think and uh, talk about how the system could be improved. (laughs) And I remember sitting in this meeting room Uh, when we first suggested this idea and they looked at us like we'd slapped them in the face it was as though it was kind of the most crazy revolutionary idea they'd ever heard and uh, when they could kind of articulate why they were so shocked they were like well that's really risky we're really nervous about that you know what uh, what if young people say stuff uh, that's controversial they're probably gonna do that or what if they say stuff that, that triggers things? Or, or what if they ask really hard questions? You know, this could get really messy. And we were like, yeah, yeah, it could get messy. But we convinced them to work with us. And so the project was called Voicebox, and we facilitated a two-day process working with 60 young people uh, who either were in the foster care system or had been in the foster care system. And we kind of conducted this process parallel to the national conference. And so the way that we worked with them was we helped them to write songs and uh, create digital stories and um, so that they could kind of share their stories in a less confronting way. They created sock puppets and the sock puppets interviewed each other. Um, It was quite an amazing process. And then uh, we supported them through that to then share and present to the entire conference of about 1200 people um, in the final session of the final day. I have to say, uh, it was one of and remains one of the most profound and impacting experiences of of my life. And out of that process, um, it was very humbling for young people to consistently say to us, this is the first time in my life I feel heard. This is the first time in my life I feel as though I can have a voice. And they were so grateful, but uh, it, it was us who were grateful to them because what they shared changed people's lives it seriously changed people's lives it's not often that you see the minister and executives of the department of child safety weeping in a public forum and that's what happened that was the response that they got and and i think that it's in this act i think it's in this act and in this process of passing the microphone because we didn't do anything special like they were standard that we would suggest it but it was kind of obvious that if you want to change a system talk to the people that the system affects we just gave the so-called voiceless an opportunity to be heard and we simply chose to pass the mic and i think that it's in this process of passing the microphone that the church that that the body of christ can really play its pivotal role can really play its important role and give voice to the voiceless when we operate at the margins as a body, I think we're at our best. I think, I think we begin to understand our role. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would increasingly give voice to the voiceless, that uh, we would increasingly pass the mic. Amen, amen.